Good morning. There we go. That's better. I like to hear a rumble as I'm, as I'm you know, getting a response back from you guys because I, I want to make sure that you're awake before I start because that way I know that if you're asleep afterwards that I put you there. Um, today we're going to look at 1 Timothy 3.1. We're continuing in that series of sermons that EC has been preaching on leadership. Um, and so we're going to look at 1 Timothy 3.1. We're, we're going to not look at the qualifications for elders or qualifications for deacons because what, really, what we really want to focus on is that idea of the noble work. Um, in EC's sermons, he has been focusing on three C's. He's been focusing on comfort, confrontation, and calling. As he's looked at transformational leadership, as he's looked at listening, as he's looked at repenting, he's been focusing on those three aspects of each topic. But I want to start this morning with the context for CVP, that as we look at this particular passage, we're looking at the fact that God has gifted the church with leaders to equip all the church for ministry. So I'm going to look really quickly at Ephesians 4. 11 through 16, and then a couple of other passages. Let me read this to you. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God has gifted the church with leaders in order to bring the church to completion and to maturity. It is always about building and growing. We see that when we look at 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul is speaking to Timothy about his calling as an elder. And he says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Again, it is that idea of growing and building and coming to maturity and completion. Lastly, I want to look at Colossians 1. As Paul speaks of his own ministry, as he is dealing with the body of Christ. So in chapter 1, he says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is a Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. As we're looking at this series on leadership, we have to keep clear that the focus of leaders is the health, the maturity, the completion of the body. And so what we're dealing with here really isn't a talk about leadership in general or talking about developing new leaders in specific. It is a talk about the body of Christ. It's a talk about us. We grow to maturity. We grow to deeper, richer sanctification. As I was dealing with in, um, in the sermon in Ephesians 4, it is all about becoming complete. It is all about serving the one who has loved us. And I was really struck by the song we just sang, Here is Love Vast as the Ocean. Here is love that conquered evil, Christ the firstborn from the grave. Death has failed to be found equal to the life of him who saves. We just spent time singing a song that talked about the majesty of the one who saved us and the glory of the God who has created us. This is the context in which we live, breathe, and find our meaning. It's the reason we gather together Sunday after Sunday for worship. It is to focus on the one who has loved us and is at work in us, the one who has enlisted us, the one that we live to please. So let me open us in prayer, and then we'll go to the passage. Almighty God, you who have created everything, you who have loved us beyond comprehension, Jesus, you who have come and lived as God among us, taking upon yourself humanity in order to save, you have not only taken those limitations of humanity, but you have also lived with indignity. You have lived with arrogant leaders who have rejected you. You have lived with a bride who has spurned you. Holy Spirit, you have come and you are the one who empowers us to live the life that we have been given. And yet it is so easy for us not to see, not to recognize the astounding love that we have been given. Not to respond to that love with sacrifice, but instead to look for the blessings for our own selfish gain. And so we come this morning recognizing that we depend upon you beyond our ability to understand. And you have loved us even when we have overlooked you. We've just spent time confessing our rebellion and our wandering in the midst of your love and pursuit. And so we come as we hear about those who aspire to overseer. And we want, Lord Jesus, to recognize how profoundly you love us and how we can respond to that love. So we ask that you would keep our gaze fixed upon Jesus and that as we understand the reality of life in Christ, we would understand that it is first and foremost in Christ. So open our eyes. Transform our hearts and equip us to be ones who love you well. We pray in your most precious name. Amen. So the passage that EC has asked me to preach is 1 Timothy 3.1. Um, 
It's a really simple passage. Basically, it says this, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. In the Greek, it's actually even simpler because when it speaks, it says, he who aspires for overseer desires a noble work. Um, I don't like the word task because that's not what's really represented here. And so let me, let me just look at these four words, aspire, overseer, noble, and work, because that sets the context for what we're going to look at. To aspire is to set yourself for, to reach toward. I don't know if for those of you who are younger than I am, but, but in my day and age, there was always the idea of reaching for the brass ring when you're on a merry-go-round. If you could manage to snag that, there was a reward that you got. And so the idea is you see these people reaching out, leaning as far as they can off of the outer horses on the merry-go-round in order to try and grab or grasp that brass ring. It was a symbol of success. That's the sense of to aspire. It is to strain for. It is to reach toward. It is to desire powerfully. The idea here is overseer. In in some of the contexts that we've looked at, they'll use the word bishop. And one of the commentaries that I looked at is it was talking about this, which is one of five sayings that Paul writes in his epistles to Timothy and Titus. It is a true and trustworthy statement. They actually say that this was probably a bad thing to write. Because they're not looking at it in the time in which Paul wrote it. They're looking at it in the time of the established hierarchical church. And the idea being that to aspire for the office of bishop was to aspire for power, to aspire for privilege, to aspire for honor. That's not at all what Paul's writing here. This is not a position of honor. This is not a place of dignity. It's a place of noble work. And so the idea of noble, really it's the Greek term kalos, which means good. It means sometimes beautiful, but but it's a positive thing. It's not the focus. The nobility of this work is not what Paul is focusing upon. He's focusing upon the work and the necessity. Because as we just spent time looking at in Ephesians and in Colossians and in 2 Timothy, this is a difficult task. It is an essential task for the well-being of the church. What Paul is writing to Timothy to deal with in Ephesus, where Timothy was ministering, is the radical importance of those who will lead the church. It is so easy for the church to go wrong. It is so easy for the believer to wander off. He's writing to Timothy in the case of leaders in this church. If you look at the beginning of the epistle, it's false teachers. It is those who are leading the church in a wrong direction. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The role of the overseer is the one who will keep the church on track. And it's not just to be able to teach from a pulpit in the case of 
the pastor who preaches faithfully instead of teaching falsely. It is the role of the elder who is engaged in the life of the flock. It gets messy. It's a difficult work. It's challenging. And in many cases, honestly, it's thankless. But it's a good work. And so I want to spend time here thinking about the difference between pursuing honor and pursuing work. It's really easy for this particular function, that of elder, to become a place that has, in a sense, an honor attached to it, and for people to want to have the honor without the work. There's a fundamental approach to life that is selfish, that is looking for what God does for me, that is looking for my blessing, that sees God as the one who caters to my needs. And we recognize the reality of that approach in the American Evangelical Church. Many churches today are trying to teach that God is Santa Claus, that God is a sugar daddy, that God is the one who will meet all your needs in Christ Jesus. And then we radically redefine the sense of need. We'll go to Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Okay. Well, I guess I can probably do that work of delighting, delighting in the Lord so that I can get what I want. But we fail to recognize that when I delight in the Lord, the desire of my heart is the Lord. It is that defining and discipling and transformational work of delighting in the Lord that gives me a righteous heart. To aspire to overseer, because again, there is no word in the Greek of office of. It is to aspire to the function, to aspire to the work, to aspire to the use of your gifts. It's a noble and good and beautiful work, but it's a necessary work, and it's not necessarily a noble work in the sense of it is relegated to a place of honor and status and position. It's good because God has designed the church to have overseers who will care for the flock. It is the hard work of being able to pay attention and to care for people. E.C. had an entire sermon on a good leader's listen. We do. All of us are called to. James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. But as we live in the body, all of us are called to pay attention. All of us are called to listen. All of us are called to care. Most particularly the overseer. It is a job that is in many ways selfless because it takes a 24-7 approach. It's not something you can shut off. 
So as we look at pursuing selfishness or pursuing ministry for the glory of God, one of the things that we have to look at is there is the word aspire. People are gifted and are called to this work. And so there's three different positions I want to look at as we consider this. One, somebody who wants honor and status. Two, somebody who recognizes the gifts that they've been given and has a love for Jesus that means they're willing to serve. But then thirdly, there are those who have gifts of leadership who simply won't take up the mantle. They will not aspire to that role of overseer. And that's the gamut that we exist within. We need people who will recognize the gifting God has given and will exert themselves to be well-equipped to that good work. But it's incredibly difficult to sometimes manage between those two wings. Some of you may have gifting to be an overseer. Do you have the aspiration? Do you have that internal call? Do you see the role as that of one who serves Jesus? Or do you see that as something that you can reject or something that pursues glory? Where I want you to focus this morning is on the things that we've sung. Because the person who has this characteristic is one who's profoundly in love with Jesus. One who will rightly aspire to the office of overseer is one who is so compelled with the beauty and the glory and the worth of Christ that they live for him. They'll sacrifice for him. They won't hold anything back for him. All of us have talents. All of us have gifts and abilities. All of us have been... Blessed. We're told that every believer has spiritual gifts. And I want to take a moment to think about that idea of gifting before we focus in on that of overseer. Everybody here has a stewardship. Everybody here is a trustee. Everybody here has been entrusted with opportunities, experiences, abilities, possessions <clears throat> that have been given to you for a purpose. You're all stewards. All of you. It's important for you to aspire to properly understand those gifts and opportunities that you have for the building of the kingdom, for the glory of Christ. The thing that will determine your active engagement and participation and desiring and discerning that calling is how much you love Jesus. 
John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Why would you love Jesus? Here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. Jesus. How can you not see him and love him? The difficulty is sometimes we just forget to look. Sometimes we get wrapped up in the day-to-day demands of life. But if we want to look at leadership, we can't look at leadership as a gifting apart from the reality of the presence of Jesus who has created, who has come, and in coming has loved, and in that love has redeemed. Went to Gethsemane. Endured the wrath of the Father and the Spirit so that you don't have to, went to the cross, drank the cup of judgment that he asked to be withheld, but then said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, has loved you so well. and is still culturally relevant in the 21st century in America today. He is your hope. He is your Savior. He is your Redeemer. He is your Sanctifier. He gives you the Spirit. The one who we so easily overlook and forget, the one who empowers your obedience and grows you in sanctification and maturity and calls and equips you to ministry. It might be easy to think about doing for the sake of doing. It's much easier to manage a task by limiting it, by focusing upon it, and by getting it complete. And we may, as the church, have multiple tasks that we engage in and complete and check off and finish. But the work of the Holy Spirit is an ongoing work that is never satisfied. He's always saying, next. He's always building greater. And Jesus deserves that ongoing, that exhausting work of grace. I want you to hear the story in Matthew 25 that is a very familiar story and sometimes a very bothersome story of the talents. 
For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants. I don't like to be a servant. I don't like to be obligated. Who called his servants and entrusted them his property. That's a steward. You're given a gift for a purpose. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his ability. I don't like to be compared. I don't want to be the guy who gets two or one. I want to be the guy who gets five. I want to be, if I'm going to be compared, at least let me be the best. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. Okay. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. I don't know why, but I tend to always identify with the one who's cautious and buries the money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered them to me. Five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Show off. Irritating. And he who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. I don't like them. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. I knew it was coming. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. Oh, my goodness. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who was not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <sighs> Don't you hate that story? But do you know what identified the two servants who made more? They loved their master. They went with eagerness because their master deserved whatever they could bring him. I'm not the one who got one. 
I'm not one who sees Jesus and says, you are a harsh taskmaster. Oh my goodness, how could I see Jesus and ever believe that? He came. He suffered the limitations of humanity. He suffered the rejection of those who should have fallen at his feet to worship him. He suffered the wrath of the Father and the Spirit in my place. How could I not love him? And brothers and sisters, as we look at the stewardships that have been entrusted to us, if we ever fall into the mindset that God gets 10%, you're thinking like the one who received one talent. I will grudgingly give God what I have to because he's bossy and demanding and greedy. No, he's not. He is loving and compassionate and generous and giving. I have what I have because it has been given to me. All of it. Out of that, I have the opportunity to aspire, to lunge forward and reach for that brass ring, to labor diligently to bring him glory and honor, because that itself is a gift. Oh my goodness, I get to serve the Lord Most High. Whoa! He will accept from me my paltry gift. And so I labor. For the case of those who have been given the gifts of leadership, it is to lead. For those who have been given different gifts, it is to use those gifts for the glory of the one who has saved them. In this particular case, Paul is speaking to Timothy about the need for leaders in the church because the church will go off rail without them. That is a noble work. It is an important work. It is a necessary work. And so when it's late at night, when it's a difficult interaction, when it's a confrontation, it's an opportunity to please the Lord who has done so much for you. But brothers and sisters, this is not a passage that talks about us in a narrow way. It is a look for us at the whole opportunity to be a steward. To place ourselves in the context of a loving God who has done the remarkable. 